1: Well, hello little one. You're here at the opening day of Disneyland. Where do you want to go? In front of you is Main Street, USA, where the clock has turned back half a century and all is quaint and dignified with small town charm. Oh, and look over there, the great big castle where Sleeping Beauty lies. That's Fantasyland, the heart of the park, a land of chivalry, of enchantment and fairy tales, dedicated to all of those who believe that when you wish upon a star, dreams do come true. Oh, here comes Mr. Walt Disney now on the miniature steam train. Uh, And look who's at the wheel, it's Mickey Mouse. How about we hop on board and travel to Frontierland, where behind the stockades you can experience the romance and the drama of the American frontier. It's a tribute to the ingenuity of our hardy pioneers who blazed the trail and made this progress possible. Oh, ho, 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 I see. You're the type of kid who loves inventions. Well, then it's tomorrow and for you, whether you're good old 1986 and cruises to the moon or an everyday thing. Earth is peaceful, and unified, and non-communistic. So what'll it be, little one? Where do you want to go?
2: Well, hello and a warm welcome to Patented, my podcast about the history of inventions by History Hit, I'm Dallas Campbell. Yes, today we are talking about Disneyland, which is appropriate, because I've actually just got back from Disneyland. Well, Disneyland Paris, I was there not for pleasure, I hasten to add, I was there for work. I gotta say, it's looking a bit tired, but there you go. What you just heard was my recreation My low quality recreation of a really wonderful YouTube video documenting the day that the very first Disneyland opened amongst the orange groves of Anaheim in California, just south of Los Angeles, way back in good old 1955. And if you're familiar with today's Disneyland, it will maybe sound very familiar to you. The first park in Anaheim, uh, the brainchild of Walt Disney, remains the blueprint for all the other Disneyland's around the world. And as you might have picked up, whole ideology was encoded within the Disneyland. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode. Anyway, that's according to my guest today, the very wonderful Sabrina Mitamaya, who is the world expert on Disneyland's and author of a cultural history of Disneyland theme parks, middle class kingdoms. Absolutely fascinating discussion. I hope you enjoy it. and welcome to the show. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to unpack. I'm aware there's a lot to unpack. Well, we're going to unpack it in all this kind of Interesting intrigue and fun stuff in a moment. I just want to start with the kind of the origin story, I, I, and I've just come back from Disneyland, by the way. I was in Disneyland oh, a couple yeah. of
3: weeks I, ago. I was there a couple of weeks ago too. Maybe we were there at the same time. Okay,
2: I was in the Fre- French one, in the Paris one.
3: Oh, okay, I was in the Californian one.
2: We're in the Californian. Okay, it's quite an odd experience. I've been to Disneyland a few times, and I'm always I always come away feeling slightly odd and maybe you can explain why i sometimes come away feeling slightly odd let's clear up the origins first yeah if we can let's go back to good old 1955 i think was it 1955 1955 back to the future um well actually why don't we start with who walt disney was i mean everyone's heard of walt disney but he was an interesting character in inverted commas
3: (laughs) (laughs) i mean um first and foremost he was a filmmaker that's how he started out obviously um animated films, animated cartoons in the nineteen twenties and thirties, when that was a you know, common thing to produce because short cartoons were usually the thing you showed in theaters before a film, right? Or like he liked mice. I mean, he liked rabbits, too, because his first rabbits creation was actually Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, or one of his first, anyway. But then um, he lost the rights to him, and he had to come up with something else, because otherwise his business would have been dead in the water, and um, that's the origin story of Mickey Mouse. But then, obviously, Up Eye is the guy who actually draws Mickey Mouse. Like, Walt well, Disney wasn't much of an animator himself. He was usually the guy who had ideas and sort of put people together. Like, I think he was, he was a producer... He was a creative man and he was a producer more than anything.
2: And what, I mean, as well as being a filmmaker, I mean, he was obviously, he had opinions about things. He had views about things. I'm just sort of, I'm interested in kind of where he stood kind of politically and what his views were on on issues <laughs> you sighed really that was a long yeah. sigh sabrina just raised her eyebrows and sighed at me
3: it's a long sigh oh, my eyebrows usually day. give me away apparently I have that in common with brad goldstein anyway um so there's so many rumors obviously people are very invested in who walt disney was for various reasons because so many yeah. to so many people he's like a hero or an almost mythic figure but that also means i flip side of the coin that so many people want to sort of destroy that image. And I think the reality of things is somewhere in the middle. The fact of the matter is he was someone who was on the House on american committees, like when all of the communist witch hunt was going on. He was one of those people who spoke out against communists. He also had an issue with his workers going on strike in the studio. He felt like that was betrayal rather than a normal like, you know, labor action. So definitely he was a conservative but i do want to shy away from like leaning into any of the other stuff like oh he was a rabbit and he's semite or any of the other things because there isn't that much proof for it he was certainly very conservative he was i i I also hate saying he was a product of his time but i also don't want to say he was more racist than the average white man of his generation (laughs) would have been (laughs) So, you know what I mean? Um, but he seemed to
2: represent a set of values, a particular yeah. sort of conservative American values at the time. He was very sort of caught up with that. Uh, I, you're right. There are lots of stories about Walt Disney. Most of them are, are probably nonsense. Like his brain probably isn't frozen in a vat somewhere.
3: Yeah, or his horn, his or whole human. body. Like this exactly, is all cryogenically kind of frozen stuff. nonsense. But and I guess that's buried. the thing.
2: He's one, but He's one of those characters that because he solicits opinions... All this kind of mythology then grows up around him in conspiracy theories and stories and what have you. It's quite hard to get to the to the sort of truth. Well, as we unpack the story of Disneyland, maybe maybe we can touch on a few more of these. So he's an animator. He's fond of drawing or not drawing. He's fond of mice and rabbits and these cartoons that I suppose also represent a set of, of quite sort of conservative. American values of the times of the the 1950s where did the idea of a theme park come from and, and what was it the first theme park would did theme parks exist before Disneyland I'm not sure I mean obviously there were fairgrounds but not really
3: no I would say they didn't theme parks are I would say an invention of Walt Disney or you know his team of designers the imagineers like the way Disneyland works it's the first theme park in that form it definitely takes
2: can we just pause on that term imagineers is it obviously engineers imagineers—it was was this the term that Disney came up
3: with yeah Um, probably not Disney himself like a lot of the stuff that's credited to Walt Disney as a person like certain quotes and so on often they were written by other people like he had a speech writer obviously he had someone who came up with a lot of this Marty Sklar most of the time has said the or written the things that are credited to Walt Disney he was someone who was with the company for a very very long time with uh, Walt Disney Imagineering Mm -hmm. he only very recently passed away, actually. But Imagineering, yes, it's a portmanteau of imagination and engineering. And it's something the company came up with. It seems like, you know,
2: there were lots of filmmakers, but it seems like he was very, very conscious of image and the way he projected things yeah. and the way and the, and the values that his films and ideas encapsulated. Is that is that fair?
3: I think so, yeah. I think what did make Walt Disney stand out among other filmmakers or studio heads or any of the time was that he was always looking for something new or something else or something different. And he he definitely had great ideas. He had a great feeling for like the zeitgeist in a way. Like he always seemed to know what would do well, what would sell. Yes. He always knew how to hire the right people to get, you know, like he was good at that. And that's why I'm saying he's, he's probably the... original producer or at least what a producer should be doing with the exception that he wasn't the guy for the money that was his brother apparently like he didn't have a good grip on like financial uh, stuff Mm. like he was usually thinking outside of the box I'm the same (laughs) same. (laughs)
2: Um, okay so he's making films yeah he's Wrapped up in, I suppose, politics and, and, and other things, but the theme park, like what happened? Like what are the origins of this Disneyland, Disney World idea?
3: It's several things at once. So the first thing is that coming out of World War II, he's quite disillusioned with filmmaking because during World War II or when the US enters World War II, all the studios are being unscripted by the US government to produce World War II propaganda. Um, they don't have the same creative freedom anymore. Um, and so he's looking for something else to do his doctors also tell him to slow down and you know find a hobby essentially um he was always interested in miniatures and miniature railroads mm-hmm. um he also had a you know bigger scale railroad in his own backyard a lot of these things he was very really into like Americana so he would build these miniatures of like american scenes and All of this kind of comes together. Um, He also goes on a long trip around Europe in the early 1930s, where he goes to Germany. He goes to Denmark, so places like Tivoli Gardens. So there's a few places that would later inspire Walt Disney and Tivoli Gardens is one of them.
2: Tivoli Gardens. I've been there, actually, in Denmark. Just remind our listeners what um, Tivoli... Because that's kind of a theme park, isn't it? Yeah, it's
3: an amusement park. It's one of the, like nicer ones because it's in gardens so there's all that Mm. landscaping there's all that like what he liked about it was the landscaping the cleanliness of the park it was less geared at like a working class audience as well so that's a big thing actually for him that's
2: interesting i mean where amusement parks and arcades generally kind of working class or and yeah, sort of I, seen as a bit dirty a bit grimy a bit
3: definitely so that's one of the things so he he's obviously of a generation where he would have grown up with these things but they were already sort of on the way out like as a form yeah so they come up at the late 19th century they're obviously still around in the early 20th century but then also through the great depression and everything like a lot of them fall into disarray and even before that they're working class entertainment they're built at the end of trolley parks so you know at the end of like streetcars because that's where the electricity is they use basically the leftover electricity on the weekends when nobody's going to work so he doesn't like them as much because they're very rosh a lot of people drink there people smoke there people have sex there And that's not the environment he wants to, like, create. Like, he's looking to create an environment you can go to with your family where you can play together with your kids rather than just watch your kids on a playground. You know, that's something that comes to his mind. He likes amusement parks. He's obviously familiar with them, but, like, he likes the rides, but he doesn't like the atmosphere.
2: So he wants to create a sort of family, middle-class, wholesome... Yes. ...theme park environment. And it's the idea that Is the theme of the theme park... Is the idea kind of, oh, we're going to take my films and base all the kind of rides around the films? Is that is it kind of a stepping into a Disney film? Is that the idea?
3: Yes and no. Like, it's part of it. So one of the things is, what well, Disney Studios are, to this day, one of the only studios, working studios in LA that don't have a studio tour. So it's not open to the public. So it's also sort of, a, even at that point in time, creating a place of like, oh, people are interested in visiting the Disney Studios. We don't actually want to open them up. So there is that factor of like, oh, what is it is like? Like to visit Disney or Mm. like visit Disney's Worlds, Um, not necessarily from the how to make a film standpoint, but like immerse yourself in the Mm. Disney world, Mm -hmm. which is most clearly possible in Fantasyland. But there's other things too. Um, This it's also immersing yourself in other types of atmospheres and ideas. Mm -hmm. So okay,
2: so he come up with this idea of okay, I want to open a theme park a bit like the one in Denmark, that's but but clean and no sex because obviously sex is. Terrible.
1: Yeah, Um, we
2: know that. What happened? How did? Just talk us through a little bit of the process of. Are we? Is it? It's the California one. Was the first one, wasn't it? I think at Anaheim. Anaheim. Yeah. Tell us about the how it happened.
3: That actually happens rather quickly. So there's a weekend that sort of interesting Annals of History is The Lost Weekend because him and I believe Herb Ryman, who was one of his uh, animators, like he works with a bunch of his animators who are already working for a studio in Mm -hmm. this, draws up like this basic map of Disneyland what exists at this point basically in Walt Disney's head and they use that to pitch it to investors and obviously everyone is like, why would you want to do this including some brothers, like this is not we don't know, nobody has done this before what do you want to do, like they obviously take it to banks they need funding for it but he also uses his own life insurance as collateral but um, at the end because his brother's also like you can't use all of your studio's money like this is way too risky we might go bankrupt but he scrapes the money together he hires like consultants to find a good location for it they land on Anaheim at that point Anaheim is just orange groves like uh, LA isn't what L.A. is now. It's
2: all just orange groves in L.A. There's nothing else. It's just oranges.
3: No, I mean, L.A. exists. But I mean, if you've been to Anaheim now, it's not orange groves. So so, so they buy up some land and actually they build all of Disneyland within a year. Like, it goes within fairly, fairly quickly from conception to the final product. And it's insane. Like, if you, if you if you look at how long it takes to build one attraction nowadays, which is obviously multiple factors. And I think the-
2: Lawyers, w- that's the multiple factors why everything takes a long lawyers, time.
3: Lawyers, zoning laws, all of this nonsense, but also how funding works, how everything works, how labor laws work. I mean, a lot of it is also actually good because it could protect people that work on these things. But, like, I think it was less- Complicated.
2: Okay, so it's day one. Disneyland opens. The gates open. I always think a bit like Willy Wonka. Do you remember that bit yeah. in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate yeah. Factory with Gene Wilder? Does that? But that no happens. children
3: were harmed in the opening of Disneyland.
2: No children <laughs> harmed. What? What am I seeing? I'm take me inside. And I'm greeted by a mouse person in a mouse outfit. And then what do I see? Probably,
3: yeah. You walk on Main Street USA, which is sort of a miniaturized past. So that's what it's been called anyway. It's a small town America um, at the turn of the century. But in miniature? Sort of. It's The buildings are built to scale, so the ground floors you can actually walk in on. So there's usually okay. Main Street USA is mostly stores and restaurants. But the, the second floor is gate. Like, it comes from um, how we build studio sets, like film studio sets. Obviously, the Got people it. who build it were actually studio set designers. So, you know, that's what happens. And then walk down that stretch, you get to Central Plaza, you see Sleeping Beauty Castle.
2: And was it the happiest place in the world?
3: opening day was a disaster. It actually, it uh, ends up being called I think, what, Black Sunday? I think it was a Sunday.
2: Black Sunday,
3: That Someone okay. will correct me and it was a different day of the, the week. D- the Disney lawyers um, who are all
2: over this will be correcting you. Be no, no, the fans. There, they? They're much worse. Oh, the
3: fans. Oh, God.
2: I, yeah, well, come on to that. Remind me to talk about the fans. Oh, God, the wrote,
3: internet. We put, forgot about the internet. Um, the internet. Uh, no, so it's a disaster because what happens is obviously they issue tickets to people. Mm. More people show up than they were invited because there's black market tickets and some people allegedly climb over the walls. Because it was built that quickly, apparently, like, um, it's a very, very hot day. So this is July mm. in Anaheim. It,
2: that's horrific.
3: So a lot of the uh, the ground is not... what is What are roads made of? <laughs>
2: Tar, tarmac. Asphalt. It,
3: the asphalt. Yeah, the asphalt isn't fully dry. And because it's that hot, people, like a few people, women especially, sink into the ground in their heels. <laughs> there aren't enough water fountains i think because they had some plumbing issues earlier it's a big disaster because it's just extremely busy and it's all televised as well so you can actually see is there videos can you youtube them yeah Mm. yeah. so like so the thing is with the televised thing is one of the ways he ended up actually funding all of this is that he was smart enough and not many studio bosses at the time worked with television because television was the enemy and a medium everyone was sort of like Skeptical of well, it was new.
2: It was new and powerful. It was new, yeah.
3: yeah. So, um, And Disney was like, no, this is great, actually. And he collaborated with what was the third network at the time, and there were only three, ABC, and was made a deal with them to create a television show for them that was basically one long commercial. It would come on once a week. It lasted an hour. And they created all of this content for it that was basically a commercial. So they would create the Davy Crockett films for it that be extremely successful. Mm-hmm. Davy Crockett was basically what Frozen was a few years ago. Like, everyone had the merchandise. Everyone knew the song. Everywhere. Like, it was global as well, or at least Western world.
2: Remind us who Davy Crockett was. He was a sort of frontiersman. Yeah,
3: he was a frontiersman at the Alamo in Texas, the Texan War of Independence. Um, Not the most likely character, especially because he dies at the Alamo. But it's the American folk hero, at least Walt Disney's version of it, actually turns him into the massive American folk. I was just at the Alamo, actually, in Texas, uh, so for the first time. Yeah,
2: yeah. Just pause there for a moment, Spirit. I just want to just while we're on the opening day and we've got women in heels sinking into the asphalt. Yeah, just give us a sense of what the place would have looked like. Like were there rides? Were there kind oh, yeah. of um, roller coasters? And what was the- it?
3: Looked a lot like it does today, but obviously some different attractions mm. and some and less of them in total. But. The basic structure of Disneyland is the same in 1955 than it is today, and it is in most other Disneylands in the world. So you enter in Main Street, USA, which looks like almost exactly the same as it does today. You walk down, you would see Sleeping Beauty Castle, which also looks pretty much as it does today. You can turn left into Adventureland, which looks very similar to what it does today because the Jungle Cruise already existed, which takes up most of that space. Mm. The Indiana Jones ride wouldn't have existed, that's opened in 1993. But like Adventureland, pretty much there. The treehouse was there. New Orleans Square wouldn't have been there yet. So Pirates of the Caribbean, that opens during Walt Disney's lifetime, however, in the early 1960s. The Tiki Room also opens in the early 1960s, but you know, the basic structure is there. You would Got have it. walked into Frontierland, you would have seen the Mark Twain Riverboat, you would have seen the Rivers of America, all of that was there. There was a mine train ride that wasn't a roller coaster, but it was there too. There would have been, I think there would have been some live animals at that point, like farm animals, and there would have been an Indian village, so Native American thing. Fantasyland was there with a bunch of the dark rides that exist until today, like Snow White... Like the ride through the miniature. It's things. a small like it's, world. No, it's, it's a small world. Comes sure. later. That's built for the New York World's Fair in 1964. But it's not much. It's not far off.
2: So, but basically, what he's created seems to be this world of. Nostalgia. He seems to be creating a kind of mythic idea of the American dream, a sort of portrait of an american dream that a certain class of people can come. Yes,
3: one one hundred percent. But it's not just nostalgia for the past; it's also a utopian future because there's also Tomorrowland.
2: Well, we'll we'll come to that. I'm just I'm just on the Wikipedia page actually, and I just want to read out the original. It's a great source of information. It's always correct, Wikipedia. But it's there's, there's got the Walt Disney original dedication yeah. on it. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here age relives fond memories of the past, and here youth may savour the challenge and promise of the future. Disneyland is dedicated to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America with the hope it will be a source of joy and inspiration to the world. Yes. Hmm. That's kind of it, isn't it? It's nostalgia and this what we want the future to be.
3: Yeah. It's what I have argued is that it's uh, all of the ideology and ideals of the early Cold War.
0: On American History Hit, we ride the Wild Oregon Trail, delve deep beneath Central Park, and fight the Forgotten War of 1812. Join me, Don Wildman, and my expert guests as we uncover the stories that have shaped America in all its endless complexity. We'll follow John Wilkes Booth as he shoots President Lincoln and goes on the run. And we'll walk under the stars with Harriet Tubman as she finds her way to freedom. Follow America's story from the first Native people to footprints on the moon. On American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit, with new episodes every Monday and Thursday. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts.
2: But that idea of nostalgia, the past and the future kind of mixing together and the values that are encompassed in that, that sort of then lent itself to this idea of the Epcot Centre, this idea of creating separate kind of future worlds
3: yeah well if we want to jump ahead to that then we're jumping ahead several years are we, in time. Okay, we are <laughs> but yeah you know you <laughs> talked about
2: you talked about your Cold War thesis so let's just let's just mention that yes. and then we'll jump let's to do the Epcot. Cold
3: War and then we can do more of the Cold War <laughs> because that doesn't end for a while um, but night no, the early Cold War um, I think is very much distilled in 1955 Disneyland because you have everything you have Main Street USA which is nostalgia for the past Past that never actually existed you know american values american ideology you go into frontierland which is called frontierland not western land you know f- that alone is ideology but also the western genre was super super popular in the early cold war for good reason because it's all a black and white good versus evil you know like some of the metaphors there aren't very subtle davy crockett was super popular with kids as well you have fantasy land which is just escapism you have adventure land which is escapism but also racism and or exoticism you know the idea of like traveling to foreign worlds it wouldn't have been as accessible to people at the time because you know the jet age is sort of happening but most people still can't afford to fly all these places all the time and then there's tomorrow land with all it's like you know utopian visions of the future space travel technology also domestic living plays a massive role in the early tomorrow So you know Everyone, like, or not everyone, but the white middle class was obsessed with, like, getting new kitchen appliances and and washing machines or whatever and, like, you know, ideas of future living. So that's all there. And there's all these tensions, right? It's all about, like, nostalgia, but also future. And you have, like, all these Western heroes like Davy Crockett, but you're also reassured by all the fantasy. Like, it's it's all, like, sort of distilled in the park.
2: You know, you've painted this really clear picture of the kind of values that are in compassed obviously the context of it this cold war american exceptionalism good versus evil the space race the jet age all this technology that was coming online i I want to go back to this idea of epcot just explain what the epcot center is and how that the epcot i'm thinking epcot florida these sort of future ideas of utopian futures that were that were built and how that ties in with Disney.
3: yeah so that was the last thing Walt disney did before he died was that what does epcot stand for Yeah, so the acronym stands for the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow, Mm -hmm. and he pitched it as a city. Like, he wanted to do was build a city. So, new ways of living, like a prototype, as he says, a prototype community. He had grand visions of, like, public transportation as well, which is very, you know, rare for the US to Mm -hmm. this very day. Gets as far as making a little image film, buys an extreme amount of land, like 10 times the size of Manhattan, like it's several times the size of Manhattan. And he buys all that land outside of Orlando, Florida, because land there's cheap, it's warm there. So the and it's already a tourist destination, and he wants to build a city. And he doesn't get further than that, because he dies. (laughs) So his Imagineers and the rest of the company are left with this concept that they soon figure out wouldn't work
2: anything with a monorail is a vision of a utopian future
3: basically yes even though it comes from Wuppertal, germany is that right <laughs> everything comes yeah from and that's germany. where disney found them like disney oh, okay. was driving through germany with his wife and then suddenly he saw the monorail was the original was his family from germany disney no was he, what was no no, no. like they tried to make up a French connection when Euro Disney opened, but that's also fabricated. But if his, his family is very much, he's from around Chicago.
2: So, so what, happen, what happened to Epcot? Disney dies, but what, what was the end, end result?
3: What happens to Epcot? Um, the end result is that so to finance Epcot as a city, what they do is build another Disneyland. So they built the Magic Kingdom Park yeah. and they built a few hotels around it. So they, they actually also found sort of that idea of the resort, you know, mm. like having a one-stop shop vacation where you don't have to leave the property for a week or so, which also has to do with how many vacation days the Americans have, not many. And they built that and uh, opened it at 71. But by then, they were, already started to realize that this idea for a city it's not very fleshed out and i don't think they can do that so they turn the concept into another theme park but it takes till 1982 to do that and the way apcot stands until today is very close to what a world's fair would have looked like or still looks like it's also been sort of you know taken over a bit more by like disney property and to the check right enough some fans as well but like it's obviously shifted it also has to go with the times of what people want from it but they still hold like food festivals there and stuff so
2: tell me about um you mentioned fans tell me about the fans we mentioned that at the beginning (laughs) you kind of have a you have a special you have a special relationship with the fans i
3: mean i'm a fan so like i'm firmly a fan of disney and of the disney parks so i'm part of that fandom And there's a lot of discussions about them because obviously it's a massive fandom. It's a very active fandom, but they're also always, they're a lot in the spotlight, like that term Disney adult has come up. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it was a no, sort of thing on the internet. Like,
2: why, can I ask why you're a fan? Like, what I mean, you're, you've, you've studied, you've written a book about Disney. Yeah. You, you go into you go into the nitty gritty, and and it's not always comfortable. Where does the fandom come from? Like, what? Where does that spring from?
3: I I mean, so obviously, as so many people. I grew up at Disney. I'm born in 1989, so I grew up with the Disney Renaissance films. You know, like I mean, 1989, Jesus that's so annoying sorry.
2: 1989
3: 33 <laughs> not annoying yeah. I'm joking so yeah obviously I grew up with like the Disney Renaissance films so like Little Mermaid yeah. Beauty and the Beast yeah. Aladdin like all yeah. of that yeah. Um, and then uh, I'm from Germany so Euro Disney as it's still called then opens in 92 so my parents take me at some point when I'm like four years old so it goes back to us with so many people to my childhood but
2: well, there is, yeah you're right there is that but there is a great spectacle when you walk in it is impressive you know there's great castles and roller coasters there is some there is something magical about about these great and things
3: and like. yeah there's that and i mean as a kid for sure but also it, like it still works as an adult because it's just very well done and there's a, that level of immersion where you just feel you do feel sort of safe there and it's fun and you get to do fun yes. things and you go with your friends or your family i also go alone quite a bit also because of my research but i'm also used to it like i just I just like to exist there. And I mean, also for me, there's always a factor of like, I'm a woman. I'm a young woman. I've not always felt safe by myself everywhere in the world. That's a sad fact. Mm -hmm. That's a space I completely feel safe in. Like Mm -hmm. there's value to that. And I think there's value to that if you're there with kids. Whereas a, it's also that factor of, like, you can do it with several groups of people or different age groups, you know, multi-generational family stuff or just bigger friend groups. And then also because the parks are that old, they also have their own fandom. There's just fans of the parks who grew up with these things that only exist in Disneyland. So
2: it's still that nostalgia, isn't it? Or it seems to be that nostalgia. Yeah,
3: it's always there. There's I think it's always there. Um, there's, there's sometimes our own childhoods now, like my generation would have also has already has all that nostalgia nostalgia because we grew up with it Mm. so and then people are starting to take their kids I don't have them but like I mean people my age certainly do have kids so it just keeps going so it's interesting
2: actually how you sort of tread this interesting space between being an academic and looking at it with through the eyes of an academic and then when you go in you're in this sort of interesting kind of bubble of parallel universe of warmth and almost like a sort of security blanket away from the the horrors of reality
3: <laughs> and i'm not the only one like that either like it's a no, certain of interesting no, juxtaposition no, of like i can see all of this very critically um and still sort of find something good in it and i mean it's the same if you study mm. any other media really like there's so much to know about the film industry or entertainment industry you'd rather not know and you still go out and enjoy <laughs> film <Of laughs> so
2: course. Just finally I, I've really its actually fascinating talking about this what what is the future of Disney is it is it what's the trajectory where you know as the world changes so radically as our as the politics and cultural issues sh- shift so quickly I wonder what does Disney keep up with them all or does it cling on to the past?
3: I think they're always trying to adapt to whatever's going on in the world. They're always trying to walk this very fine line of never wanting to offend anybody and that's no longer possible. It never has been possible but I feel like it's much more in the spotlight right now how difficult that is and I mean, I think their future, I think they still have incredible staying power because their fandom is that large.
2: I'm always surprised. I was, when I, I just said, I was in Disneyland Paris the other day and, and it's the 30th anniversary of it. And they were sort of redesigning lots of their merchandise with, this, with the sort of Mickey Mouse logo. And like young people have no idea about Mickey Mouse. Like who watches Mickey Mouse? I mean, it's kind of interesting
3: how the Mickey they Mouse- They do, because I mean, Mickey, like there's so many different versions of Mickey by now. Like, I mean, we don't have really, like the Disney Channel was a thing for a long time. But even if you we were in a country without Disney Channel, there would have always been old cartoons on. Yeah, I've okay. grew. I grew up watching Disney and Mickey Mouse cartoons from the third. I remember the
2: Disney. The Disney, yeah, the Mickey Mouse Club. I remember in the in the in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, with-
3: for instance, that these things. Yeah, there was one in Germany, a type of thing like that too when you were Disney open, like, and. And now we have streaming, so everything's on Disney Plus. People can discover all this stuff, and they also produce like newer kids shows. There's a thing called Mickey Mouse Clubhouse that's CG animated for little kids. Like I don't think that will ever go away. Like people watch them. So
2: when when you wrote your book and you sort of finished your book, was there a kind of a, a sort of a central thesis that you found that you kind of go, you know what, this is I, this is what I've discovered about?
3: Yeah, well, the one thing is that if you look at the parks, it's always about you know, looking at the context of the time and the culture of the opening. And so, as I say, 1955 Cold War, like, you can look at it and find something out about that. You can tell a lot about what Western Europe was like in 1992, if you look closely enough at Euro Disney. Maybe less in the design, but if you look at everything that went down at the opening and the reaction to it, stuff like that. And the other big thing is that from the beginning, they've always appealed to a white middle class. At some point, it, the middle class wasn't as white anymore, but they still appeal to a like a middle to upper class at least with their parks obviously with other media it's a bit different because they're more accessible to them but that's their core audience for their parks and as long as they target them well um, they will keep going
2: when archaeologists in hundreds of years time dig up disneyland they'll, they'll find all this they'll go yes i wonder if they'll be able to read all that from the ruins
3: I wonder. I mean, things change so much. And then that's also the thing with, with well, we're probably going to die in a global heat death and nothing will be left. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there, there's people who will say, like, oh, if they're this, Earth, they think it will be a kingdom built to a mouse. But you can't find much of Mickey in the park. Yeah. The
2: conspiracy theorists will go crazy when they discover Disneyland. They'll go absolutely mad.
3: Yeah, I think Disney doesn't really have much to worry about quite yet.
2: No. Anyway... 1950s Disneyland interesting times then interesting times now yes. well. uh, Sabrina <laughs> thanks for coming by and chatting it's been really fascinating it's who I mean it just opens you know you talk about a theme park and it opens this great book on all kinds of <laughs>
3: yeah there's there's so much more we have not barely scraped like, scrapped the surface I think
2: so. we've had a little scrape and it's been fun yeah. so thank
3: you you're welcome <laughs>
2: So there we go. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you uh, had that little virtual tour of Disneyland. Not the standard tour of Disneyland. Uh, if you're enjoying the show generally don't forget to go back and have a little route around our what is becoming quite an extensive back catalogue of ideas and things that we've covered. Things that we've delved into the origins of. And if you're enjoying it, we'd love you to tell your friends and your family and Whoever that you're enjoying it, uh, it, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, and of course, as ever, don't forget to get in touch if you've got a suggestion for an episode, a topic perhaps you'd like us to cover. You can email us at patented at historyhit.com or you can give me a poke on social media. And I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to your company next time. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play and smart TV platforms, follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there including a documentary on science in the middle ages with seb folk and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race as a patented listener you get a special gift if you use the code patented at the checkout you get 50 percent off your first three months that's patented for 50 percent off your first three months and if you're an apple listener you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the apple app